Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That's me. With me, as always, Brandon Newman. Brandon, how's it going? Oh, I'm fine as wine on this Tuesday morning. How you doing, Mike? I'm I'm doing a little bit weirder now that you had to be over there shimmy shaking and uh, <laughs> vibrating and gyrating throughout the screen here on the Zoom that nobody else but me can see. But uh. Now that we I want just, you to feel these vibes, baby. I want you to get the, get in, the, ride this wave. I'm feeling baby. we we in this. It's it's May. You know what I'm saying? And it's officially spring in the Midwest. It's hot out this piece. Yeah, I was I was appreciating you saying it's May as if that was some new experience that we weren't 17 days into at this point. But uh, we are knee deep in it. It is hotter than all hell out here. We got plenty getting ready to go on this week. Speaking of hot, we'll have plenty to get into with the PGA Championship coming up starting Thursday. We got NHL postseason, the second round, getting ready to start tonight. Tampa and Florida, St. Louis and Colorado. And we have some help. 
here to get us through that because we told you guys on this podcast we were going to do a good job or a better job or a job at all of covering the NHL, and we hadn't really made good on that so far. So Shana Goldman's going to join us, staff writer over at The Athletic. You guys probably know her as one of the three co-hosts of the Too Many Men podcast that is now a new part of the Levitard and Friends Network and thus part of the DraftKings umbrella with us here. So we're excited to talk to Shayna. She's got some awesome stuff about what we've already seen this postseason, what to expect, and who we think will ultimately lift the cup at the end of all this. We'll also get into the Eastern Conference Finals that's going to get going tonight. And one NFL's player's quest to apparently get fired on his day off based on how he's tweeting. I won't say from what job, but he is Mm. very much hustling backwards. So we got all that to get to after we sort through the wreckage that is the Phoenix Suns right now, Brandon, because we thought the way that they lost Game 7 was going to be enough. No, no, no. How do you want to divide this up? Because I'm trying to figure out what was worse in the aftermath, Brandon, What we saw Patrick Beverly do on Get Up and First Take yesterday on ESPN going for every ounce of Chris Paul's soul or 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 the fact that the Phoenix Suns social team went ahead and stepped in it pretty badly yesterday because they tried to go out here and I would guess curry some support and favor among their supporters and followers by putting out one of those big too long didn't read statements about it started off today as a new day for Phoenix Suns fans. The work on next season is already underway and it's like five paragraphs that no one was going to read that's signed by James Jones and signed by uh, who else Jason Raleigh in the front office talking about hope for the future that they had to delete because they misspelled one of their sponsor not PayPal PayPal, which they spelled PayPal with a Y in there (laughs) and had to put out there again which is uh, just another factory of sadness moment for them Brandon so I don't know which registers more on the heat scale I have a feeling it's what Pat Bev was doing to not really just this franchise but to Chris Paul but this was just another bit of insult to injury for them yesterday I, I, we can start with the social media team because just have how you have uh, sympathy for people in the booth, people who have wore the same hats as you. I have I have some sympathy for people behind behind the screen tweeting for these publications for these for these people. Uh, players mess up too. You know what I'm saying? We can get some we can get some screenshot. Uh, we can get some things misspelled. Usually not on graphics. Graphics is the biggest no-no, and it's I don't know if you guys know about Photoshop and how it works in the back end, but ain't no little red squiggly line. You got to know how to spell stuff. Before <laughs> you you got to come correct coming in there, or you don't know how to. I mean, the, I, 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 the I, I iPhone's not fixing it for you, right? I know my first my first year working social media at Fox Sports, I tweeted James Harden's name misspelled H uh, R D I N. That was the last time I made that mistake. It's it's just a, uh, and that's the last time somebody's gonna misspell uh, PayPal over there at the <laughs> Phoenix Sun Arena. So I, 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 I want to. I, my heart goes out to them. Uh, they tried. They're and honestly, those guys are just doing what they're told. Like I said, guys, those guys and gals, whoever's at the helm, they're just doing what they're told. And you know, players players messed up sometimes. I do appreciate that they spelled PayPal the way Brian Kelly pronounced family at that LSU basketball <laughs> game. But you're right. I also have sympathy. <laughs> PayPal. Oh my 
I do also have sympathy for those people because my sister worked in social media for a couple of NFL teams for a little bit. And I remember distinctly when the empathy was at its highest. She wasn't working there anymore, but still had friends working there. When you remember the Bears sent out that Twitter... um, they sent out that template with the Andy Dalton picture that offseason they signed oh, him that said he's our quarterback QB1 yes. and got absolutely destroyed. And as you just said, and as my sister reminded me, people way above their pay grade are the ones signing off on tweets like those. And it ain't sweet when you got to be the one checking the mentions on that. So, Man, and listen, we out here creating, when, when we put something to your face and we ask you to check it for spelling, we asking you to check it. We're not asking you just to to click off on it. We need it. We need it to be checked because otherwise, we all gonna be out here looking bad. So that was and your, a tough... your 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 sister also is still working on social media for your dad. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> that is that is true. She's paid very well to run the social media account <laughs> for my dad during football season. So good job, Sid. Um, but Brandon, that pales in comparison to what went on. And, and this was, I, I think, an interesting moment for us to digest as an industry, an interesting moment for NBA fans trying to process what they had just seen because Patrick Beverly, who you saw last on the court for the Minnesota Timberwolves, was a part of their playoff run this year, got on first take, was out there with Stephen A and J.J. Redick and Molly and basically took a blowtorch to all things Chris Paul when talking about what he saw from the Phoenix Suns' effort in this game. So much so that it felt deeply personal. Like, Brandon, do you have a list of what he said about Chris Paul through the order of these shows? Yeah, through, through the car wash. I'm not really sure what was said first. I, the way I have it laid out, uh, I, I basically have it as if Get Up was the first show and then first take. I, I imagine it was in that sequence. But yes, I, I have the things written out of uh, Pat Bev's commentary. All right, so, so what was Pat loss. Bev's slander of Chris Paul in the order okay. that you've concocted here? So this is this has been uh, quote tweeted and, and uh, pushed around the internet. And I'm just going to grab some of my favorite quotes. And I'm, I'm doing so because I, I don't know if you guys were here with us yesterday. And remember the conversation Mike and I had yesterday, but my wife even put, pressed me about it. She was like, sometimes when you feel strongly about something, you don't have facts on it. And Mike presents you with facts against it. And you just have to be forced to be laid out. And I said, yeah, I hear you, but I feel the way I feel. And like all good people of religion, I don't need to see evidence to, to know that it's real. Like every good man of faith. <laughs> you, you, t- you take by faith. I take I take by faith and my 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 quotations on Chris Paul were that ain't nobody worried about him or more or less he can't claim that he is the the sole source of why the Suns will be back next year if he's not retiring because he is a future Hall of Famer but a shell of himself at this point in time. So that was me hating yesterday just to get, catch everyone up. This is what Pat Bev says about Chris Paul today on live television. Uh, when talking about the benching of DeAndre Aiden, Pat Bev came out and said they benched the wrong person. They should have benched Chris. He went along and said Ty Lue would have made that that decision, that brave decision to, to bench Chris Paul instead of DeAndre Aiden to see if they can get something going because Chris Paul wasn't doing anything. Moving on, he uh, Pat Beverly also said, ain't nobody worried about Chris Paul when they play the Phoenix Suns. 
Nobody. He did. He did even extend that and say, "When I play the Phoenix Suns, I go out to Stake Forty Four in Arizona, have myself a glass of wine, sweat it out in the pregame warm up, and then go out there and guard Chris Paul. If I'm playing the Warriors and Steph Curry, I'm going to bed at eight and silencing my phone." Yeah, he said. He said. Uh, he said, "My mom's not reaching out to me. My girl ain't reaching out to me. She knows I'm locked in." Going to and he's you know I I okay we'll we'll dive into it. Let me keep talking about uh, what else he said. He said Chris Paul shouldn't even have been in the game at that point in time. Talking about how he's been refereed, he said he should have fouled out. He can't guard. He literally can't guard. CP can't guard nobody. Everybody in the NBA knows that. That's that's the quote from Pat Bev, and he's saying that every time Chris Paul's out there trying to guard someone, he is fouling someone. <laughs> And he therefore should be fouled out of the game before he even gets into a rhythm. Uh, moving on, he said, "We call him. We call him Cone." Talking about Chris Paul, he said, "We call him Cone." You know, you know what happens when you when you practice against cones? They just stand there, right? Yeah, that's what he does. Y'all just don't know. Y'all just don't want to accept it because he's CP3. Okay, 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 okay. Let, let's let's move on. He said, "The reason why the Phoenix Suns laid the egg in Game Seven said them boys scared of Luca." Ain't nobody afraid of anybody over there in Phoenix, man. Everybody in the league knows that. Kind of reiteration of what he said before. And this is the last thing I'll say uh, moving on. I thought, I thought this was out of bounds. Out of all things he said, this was out of bounds. On first take, he says, I talked to some of my teammates. I ain't going to say who. Forget it. I talked to Paul George last night. Just in a second. In an instant. You can watch the video. <laughs> in the video, like, it was like, I'm not going to say anybody's name. F it. Paul George, talk to Paul George, but last night, ain't nobody scared of them. Talking about the Phoenix Suns. You got, he says, you, you got, you get, oh, I'm excuse, excuse me. He says, you got to get your game right when you play Luka, right? Nobody's afraid of the Phoenix Suns. Nobody's afraid of the Dallas Mavericks, but when you play Luka, you got to get your head right. And Pat Beverly's overall message was, I don't think you need to break this down to a weird science. He was uh, getting in Brian Windhorst's ass about it. He was like, I don't think you need to break it down into a science. The Phoenix Suns played a better player and a better team, and they got beat. And it's as simple as that. And he says th the team's Achilles heel, like we alluded to yesterday, was 37-year-old Chris Paul. Which you said it, and that way you said it right there. And this is really at the crux of this entire conversation, Brandon, is that fine line between criticism and pointing out what people saw and what some perceived as out-and-out -out disrespect. Because what you said there, if it had been phrased like that, which was, hey, the Dallas Mavericks took advantage of a mismatch against Chris Paul, which is basically exactly what we talked to Ryan Hollins about yesterday. Like, that was the book on them. They made him work on defense. It affected him on offense. And the rest of the Suns' house of cards kind of came crashing down around that. That's one thing versus basically spending the entirety of your time trying to tear down the entire aura of Chris Paul saying that he's a complete defensive liability, saying that no... Like, it, 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 everyone felt it. It felt deeply personal. And I know... I think Pat Bev went on um, J.J. Reddick's Old Man of the Three podcast and said, like, there's been a rivalry here since high school, since they went to LeBron's Nike camp when they were in college. Like, this has been a long time in the making for all this, but it still did feel weirdly personal. And like you mentioned, he mentioned something that someone told him in the locker room behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. it, it, it always kind of brings up this uncomfortable tension that exists when guys start to work in the media where 
everyone deals with it. Everyone who's ever played sports up to a certain level of how you're going to talk about guys that are in these instances when you're fresh out of it, still your peers. And in a lot of instances, you're more accomplished peers because as everyone pointed out quick, and Matt Barnes pointed this out on NBA Today later, Dame Lillard was on Twitter pointing this out, Chris Paul is going to be a Hall of Famer who is remembered in a lot of ways after his career is over, and Pat Beverly, relative to that, is going to fade into anonymity once his career is over unless he does jump into the media. And so that's always the difficult line. And I think the reason this was so highly contested about how people perceived this was fans are always going to love this because this is Pat Bev. This is who he is on the court. This is who we see him all the time. He gave you a hundred percent of himself in that regard. And in a lot of instances, we know the shit talking that goes into that. We know he tries to get under guy's skin. There's always this thought that as someone in the fraternity, you're going to do a bit more to protect those guys. And usually that feeling is more so present when you are a current player or you just recently finished playing. You see guys, the further away they get from the game, the further away they get from locker rooms, the further away they get from having to see these guys day-to-day, face-to-face, you see the takes start to heat up. You see all of us kind of lose track of that from time to time. And so part of me respects the fact that Pat Bev is going to go out and have to see Chris Paul up close and personal next season, is going, you know, has said these things, I presume, to him on the court in some way, shape, or form, and certainly doesn't fear that confrontation, but it runs so counter to what we usually see, which is players believing that to some extent they think the larger media take engine has it out for them and kind of being protective of the fraternity versus what we saw there, which is him just giving you himself straight up in a way that quite honestly is probably going to make Pat Bev a lot of money if he chooses this as a career, at least in the early going. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you said the fact that that's just this is just Pat Bev being Pat Bev. Like if this was somebody acting out of pocket, behaving uh, outside of themselves to expose a member of the fraternity, quote unquote, then everybody should look side eyed at it. But this is Patrick Beverly being consistent with what we've seen of Patrick Beverly. The last time we saw Patrick Beverly last season was him taking a cheap shot, pushing Chris Paul on his back, making his the top of his head hit his middle of his shoulder blades as he as he fell down, and he got ejected from the game. That was his uh, playoffs, the Western Conference the Western Conference Finals. That was the last time we saw Pat Beverly. There's something so people want to protect the people that they think need to be protected. Is that is that fair to say? And especially when it comes to the feud between Patrick Beverly and Chris Paul, Patrick Beverly sees Chris Paul is the one who who needs to be who's being protected. He needs to be clapped at. Uh, I think uh, Stephen A. Smith even pressed him and asked him, uh, "Where's this smoke for?" criticizing how James Harden has played in the playoffs. And apparently Patrick Beverly had nothing to say about that because his agenda was to come at Chris Paul. And I'm, I am okay with it because it is a little bit of personal mixed with facts. I think the only, I don't think Pat Beverly would have been forced to do this if he wasn't in a position to say, Oh, why do you think the Phoenix Suns laid an egg against the uh, Dallas Mavericks? Patrick Beverly watching the game was like, we ought to see Chris Paul. 
Yeah. I, 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 again, I don't think anything he pointed out as far as what we all saw is wrong. And that wouldn't have been the beef if he had come out there and said, listen, you know what? Chris Paul has been a great... Like, if he had done what was the normal media-trained answer for that, which was, hey, Chris Paul's been a great player in this league for the long time, but Father Time catches up to all of us. You clearly yeah. saw that on display in this series. This guy who has been a seven-time first-team NBA all-defensive player clearly does not look that anymore. He was someone that they attacked on the defensive end of the floor and it affected the way he played offense in this team that plays but when Pat Bev gives it to you the exact way he would give it to you out on the court and he's still in that fraternity and then you have the natural reaction of a lot of people when you start doing this which is you're not as good at what you do as he right. is at what he does so what gives you the right to talk that way and Pat Bev, like, I mean, he operates from a place of otherworldly confidence. He's like a defensive back. When you're a yeah. guy that makes your bread on defense, you have to believe, like he said to Stephen A., I'm the best defender in the league. Like, none of the rest of us believe that to be true, but Pat Bev believes it. And it's the only way as someone who, as he pointed out, doesn't have the physical skills of a Giannis or anyone else, can go out and accomplish to the level that he has already. Like, I remember sitting when the NBA All-Star Weekend was in Chicago and Pat Bev was taping the Woj pod with Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN and that was who he like that's who he is in every setting consistently and he said it's the only way you get to playing from overseas back into the NBA where you want to be and carving out a position for yourself but at some point people always say and we talk about this all the time in football like my dad used to tell me when I was a kid you flip the switch like you be a mean cuss and whatever you've got to be on the field Mm. on the court to make that happen but when you get off the court and that is certainly a notion that's a lot more from my dad's generation of hey what we say and do between the lines and inside the locker room stays there like we protect that brotherhood that's for us that's not for them and I think there was some semblance of this of Pat Bev is doing this in front of company right now and it's kind True. of airing out the things that normally wouldn't happen. And I, I'm not I'm not going to say that, like... Because everyone's got to make it however they want to, right? And if Pat Bev wants to do media, I'm sure he's looking around and saying, well, Draymond's getting a ton of money and attention for being himself very publicly in front of a microphone. We're seeing plenty right. of guys, I think more than we're used to, that kind of get to go about it that way. And that way, quite honestly, that Charles and um, the guys the t- inside the NBA on TNT have set yeah. the tone with for years. And so I'm yeah. sure he's saying, man, if I go out there and just keep it my keep it 100 and keep it myself, I can probably make some money on this in the interim here. It, it is not the way I'd go about it. It was a way that would make me uncomfortable because I just didn't have the mentality that Pat Bev did as a player or as right. a part of that. But he's got to take care of himself and can do what he's comfortable with here. And as much as I can disagree with it, I think it's going to work for him, at least in the short term. Like in the long term, you got to go ahead and do the thing. But in the short term, I think it'll probably get him what he's looking for. Yeah, but also what I love about it is, and I've alluded to it earlier, but this is not Fugazi. Like, this is a real relationship that he is, that's been eating at him for years. I think you you wrote, he talked about on, on the podcast uh, with J.J. Reddick that they've been beefing since high school. Like, this 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 feud, this feud between Patrick Beverly and, and Chris Paul isn't new to the NBA. But we also don't like what the source of it is. Like all they said was we played against each other in there and basically it sounded like normal competition stuff. This just sounded like a little more than that, which I think threw everybody off a little bit. So, well, I well I just wanted to bring up the fact that like, 
you bring up Draymond Green. The first time we saw him in this media chair, who was he sitting down and having a conversation with? Kevin Durant, who he had a very public beef and and blow up with when they were teammates on the Warriors, right? Uh, you, t- you think about Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thompson. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Isaiah Thomas. Almost, almost did it. Uh, Isaiah Thomas. Like, these are real – uh, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, uh, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Like these are real beefs, real competitions that exist outside of the floor. So for me, I prefer to see that the smoke is re- like that, that where there's smoke, there's fire. And even though these people are professional and supposed to go carry themselves in a specific way and there's certain rules to the thing, like the reason why the media game is so great now with these athletes in it is because they're following different rules I, I think it would be a lot less pull quotes and not to say that I, I need something salacious to get excited about it but I need something real I need something with skin with someone with skin in the game I need someone who has to has to see this person again I, I want to hear about a story where they didn't know they were going to be at the same party together now like well, this is oh, now you, in oh, the no, lexicon you know, you know how this ends now is somebody is going to get the both of them on a podcast together and they're going to have this out like that's that's probably how this ends it's not like Chris Paul's any stranger to the media Right. Listen, it, it could be one way or another and all that. Someone's going to get that. This is how all this works now because you're right. When I, this was a conversation I did have with my dad about that locker room stuff is we've gotten used to seeing guys put all this out on Twitter. Like people are giving up locker room beefs and all the different things, the gripes they have with organizations and putting it out there because that's how a large portion of a generation of players have come to know social discord. Like this is just social media has been a part of the way that this is all gone. All Pat Bev basically did was take what he might have tweeted and set it on national, like nationally broadcast shows. So it, it's something that has been in line with what we've seen from plenty of athletes before. I understand why fans are going to love it, and I understand why dudes like Dame Lillard are sitting over here going, "Dude, what the hell's wrong with you?" Like, yeah, and that's what that's and that's why I don't like about it is that real ones like Damian Lillard have to choose a side, and Patrick Beverly is going to be on the side of like, bro, what are you doing? Like, yeah, just stop. And I, and, I, and I would say that I don't know if he would tweet at this thing. I don't know if he would have tweeted this. But I know that when he got dressed and went over to the, the harbor and got ready to get up on, on get up and first take today, he knew he was going to say something because guess what just happened? His, his moral enemy lost in embarrassing fashion to somebody who's always beat his ass in Luka Doncic. Like, I think it was it was his time to shine. It was perfect booking. Shouts out to the, the talent bookers over there. <laughs> It was it really it really was as our friend of the program Spencer Hall tweeted out who do you hate enough in sports to wake up at 4:45 a.m. and slander cuz that's how early you're up to get up and go do Man. that show but Brandon let me pivot this to a different question because obviously okay. you and I both played D1 sports our business was out there enough high profile high school football player Mhm What was the most hurtful thing that's ever been said about you on a broadcast and or about your game Ooh well, I'll say, I, I mean, that time at Ball State, I got some burn. We had a good season, went to a bowl game. This is so, if you, for you guys that don't know, Mike and I played. Ooh, play together, no, no. Uh, I took my fifth year at Ball State. He stayed uh, and, and took his fifth year at Notre Dame. Uh, they, they had a great season. I don't know if you guys know, they went to the national championship game that year. Um, that year for Ball State, I think we went to the, in comparison, it seems. Lesser than, but the Beef O'Brady's Bowl. 
In and, name value, it does not seem lesser than. And thank you. And in in Saint Pete's in Saint Saint Petersburg, Florida, where we played uh, UCF, headed by Blake Bortles. Oh. Right? I didn't realize how good of a quarterback he was. The tape didn't do how big he was. He's a bit of a lumberjack in real life as well. And I bounced off of him a couple times trying to get trying to get a sack. And uh, shouts out to Brian Smith, pup. Um, well, I'm Our sure former he'll be teammate name Notre Dame linebacker. Up. Yes, for, yes, former teammate Notre Dame linebacker. He hit me up afterwards and was like, "Bro, Desmond Howard was laying into your ass during the game." He's like, "He's like this Notre Dame transfer just can't seem to stay on the field. He's not conditioned enough. It, it seems like he could make an impact if he had any wind, but he's just out of gas." And I didn't. I never went back and checked the game copy, but it still hurt as if I heard it. It hurt, and it also hurt because it was true. At that point in time, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't in the best of shape. I wasn't that, in the best of shape. I saw this. I saw the writing on the wall. I knew I wasn't going in the third round at that point in time, and I, I wasn't in the best of shape. And it, it was it was slightly hurtful, but you know they 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 know listen, what they're looking at. Listen, they know if, what they're doing. <laughs> if any if anyone is in their best shape in a non BCS non New Year's Six bowl game, then man. I, I question how much fun you've had in college because bowl season was a place Mike, where showing up to practice hungover was just a part of the job description. Mike at St. Pete that week in, in at the ball the the bowl game, the, a college bar had dollar dollar wells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, we listen. were had a good time that week. That's what that's dollar that is, wells. That is bowl week. There's no curfew for like the first two or three days for a reason because everyone understands what the game's about. So I I, I totally get that on that one, but uh. I, you know what? That's also the comments that usually hurt the most is when there's like a little kernel of truth to it. And yes, we all know yes. it because mine wasn't on TV, but I have like a vivid memory still of, by the way, I think our generation is both mentally deranged and also hardened because those of us that came up in sports, specifically in college football, are familiar with college football message boards, which oh. are a sewage dump and a, a circle of hell that no one should ever enter. But I remember one time, you know, we all get, you know, curious and it's kind of like reading your mentions on Twitter. I went in there and I saw a picture of me from the Notre Dame Purdue game in 2012 getting beat by K1 short for a sack and it just had me circled and it said liability at the top of some thread that was just Irish fans ripping into my ass. Oh my, I mean, to be fair, that was a first round draft pick, but yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, two, hey, listen, he was very good. We faced a lot of good guys. That being said, looking back on that game and looking back on that season when I saw some replays, we slid protection right a fair amount to help out me, the right guard, sitting in that spot, which is what you do when you got Zach Martin, future Hall of Famer, on the other side of that offensive line anchoring things. So I get it. So I get yeah. it. So yeah. those, were, uh, those were some of what we saw in the take discourse about the NBA and about ourselves because we will always mm. point the mirror back but uh before we look forward at the nhl postseason and again super super excited to have Shayna goldman on uh goldman on in just a second here 
um, to help us cover hockey. We do have the NBA's Eastern Conference Finals getting started tonight. Celtics and Heat getting ready to tip this off. The Celtics are hopeful to have Marcus Smart back in the lineup. It sounds like the rest of them will be good to go. The Heat also kind of figuring out the Kyle Lowry situation still. Mm. Remember, still banged up. I think it was a hamstring from that last round. So, Brandon, uh, I'll give you the first crack at this. Prediction for the series here. How many games does it go and who's winning? I got to go... I got to go Boston in six. I got to go Boston in six. And I respect the hell out of the Miami Heat and everything they've been able to do. And how, But it, like I said, there's just there's just some players on that team that are my whenever win a championship list, uh, Jimmy Butler and Victor Oladipo being two of them. And I don't want to just simplify it that much. But in my opinion, the Heat culture is a culture that leads to winning and maybe not championships. Maybe I think all the all the winning that you can do, but not the big one, not the big one. And I just believe in the Boston Celtics a lot more. I think they're a, a great coach team, a, a, a deep team and a team that I just enjoy watching a lot more than I'll enjoy watching the Miami Heat. I mean, I, I think this is a real Spider-Man pointing meme series where both of these teams hang their head on defense. Everyone's described it as likely going to be a rock fight. Um, we know this is a rematch of the 2020 bubble Eastern Conference Finals that we saw mm-hmm. with these two teams. A lot of different faces, especially on that Boston team back then. I think Kemba Walker was still uh, around at that point. So you had uh, Gordon Hayward was still on that team, although I think yeah. was coming back from injury. All, all that being said in this, this is going to be lower scoring series than we've seen. Very similar defensive teams. I just think that for Boston... As long as Marcus Smart is healthy, I think this is a series that goes seven that Boston wins. I think they're similar enough. Jimmy Butler has shown the ability to step up in big games the way he did in the last series, especially when they needed him the most. But if you've got Marcus Smart who can go out there on any given night and be, you know, arguably your second most important player, Al Horford going off in the way he has, and those role players emboldened by how the end of that last series went, I think with all of those things matching up with a lot of the guys on that Heat side, Jason Tatum is the best player in this series. And Mm -hmm. if all other things style-wise are equal and the way that you operate defensively are equal, I'm going to go with the team with the guy that might be able to force some hard double teams as the series goes along, might be able to bend the defense a little bit more than anyone that Miami's got on their side. And so I'll go Boston in seven and continue to feed the Heat culture propaganda machine that believes they've been disrespected at every turn this year yeah and it works for them and they'll continue to be disrespected i I say if anything they should be happy that we're being consistent this is like the miyagi thing where we wax on wax off and make sure that we don't change anything up on this heat run so that if they do win now all of a sudden they have us to thank for consistently fueling the chip on their shoulder i I, for me i think it's as simple as you look at jason tatum you look at jalen brown they just seem like two players that are that are going to have an opportunity to stack championships in their careers in the NBA. And it's just a matter of when Jason Tatum gets his first. And I think, I think the, the, the tables are set for him now. LeBron is no longer in the East. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard. LeBron James busy, busy asking Q&A questions on Twitter last <laughs> night, which was fantastic, by the way. I tried to ask him um, if LeBron liked Arby's. I still have not received an answer on that. But, Brandon, we talk about college and the things that go on with that. I do appreciate, and you pointed this out, that as LeBron James started a Q&A, immediately Bronny James Jr. starts trending because I'm sure a million and one people are trying to ask him 
about what his decision is going to be, whether it is a pit stop in college or the G League or trying to go straight, you know, straight to Overwatch or any of those leagues. So people going a roundabout way of trying to treat tweet at recruits. I'll tell you what, Bronny, Bronny, Bronny Sealing. He's got to beat LaMelo. He's got to beat LaMelo's first season. I'm not saying it's a LeVar Ball versus LeBron James thing, but I'm saying it's a LeVar Ball versus LeBron James. Who's the better dad? Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? Who's the better dad? And also, LeBron James is lucky he didn't uh, do Q&A tonight because Taco Tuesday probably ended up being trending. Dear God, yeah, and no one needs that anymore with what we've already seen from LeBron James on that front. By the way, if you ever want questions for us, and we'll probably do a mailbag this Friday. I am hearing a rumor yes. that Mike Golick Sr. may drop by. So you can Ooh. obviously tweet us at Gojo Show with any questions that you've got for that. You can always download, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you leave a question in the five-star review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, we will 100% of the time answer that question on a mailbag episode. So those of you in the middle of this pod have the life hack for that. So go ahead and do it. In the meantime, in the interest of table setting, we mentioned what we've got in the NBA. We've got the NHL second round of the playoffs getting started tonight, which means we need some help from a friend. So stick around in just a second. Shayna Goldman from the Too Many Men podcast is going to join us to take a look at the National Hockey League. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and then boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code GOJO, and bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, so Brandon, as we started this podcast, we made some promises, one of which was we were going to talk some puck on here. We were going to service the hockey audience, and we've done a very bad job of that thus far. And Maybe. so we are uh, now formally bringing in reinforcements on here and are very excited to welcome in Shana Goldman, who is a staff writer who covers hockey over at The Athletic, the co-founder of BehindTheBenches.com, and one of the three co-hosts of the Too Many Men podcast that has recently joined the Levitard and Friends Network. So first and foremost, Shayna, congratulations on that. Been enjoying the podcast. You guys have uh, obviously been doing this already, but very exciting news to hear you guys are joining up with the Levitard and Friends group, which are kind of like our cousins since we're all technically under the DraftKings umbrella. Yeah, it's super exciting. We're thrilled to be joining and, you know, recording more often and, you know, we're just excited because the playoffs are the, you know, they're the best time of year for a hockey fan. So if we can have, you know, a way to bring some more content, bring some different content from different voices and not only the same hundred hockey men that turn out the same content every day, you know, that's something good. Well, and Jana, you mentioned a, a different approach to all of this, your background covering hockey with a focus on data-driven analysis and I'm someone who has watched, you know, data and analytics work their way into the NFL. We obviously know it in baseball and these other sports. I'm a lot less familiar with how data and analytics have 
sort of come in and been a part of the way that we digest hockey. So for you, how did you wind up covering the sport that way? And what are some ways that this has started to become a part of the way we can talk about hockey nowadays? So I just happen to really like math and numbers and things like that. And I also wanted to prove that I was right on something. It was whether Anton Strollman was a good defenseman because when he started out with the Rangers, he was not, and his plus minus was bad. And everybody looks at plus minus and decides that's how you evaluate defense when it doesn't even come close to it. It's a flawed stat and it, you know, it doesn't just describe enough about the player itself, more about the goaltending and the shooting, you know, of the team around them. So I started looking at numbers that way. And I started writing about hockey from like a technology perspective and outside the game. And then the more I got into analytics, the more I tried to start, you know, bringing that into the fold with my writing and writing in-game content, you know, I think it's just a tool, you know, everyone will look at it and be like, well, you're watching a spreadsheet or it's just numbers, but they're numbers that you're watching develop in front of you. You know, we're all biased. Everybody knows that you might see a player score an incredible goal and you're going to assume that they had an unbelievable night, but maybe that, you know, that one goal was one of five scoring chances they were on the ice for and against they allowed 20. So it helps to have that as a gut check, whether it, you know, sparks questions for you, answers questions or anything else like that. And just if you were helping, because you're right, it is a tool. And that's always the way I've tried to explain it to people when it comes to football in that regard. I know for that sport, the stats that I like, the ones that I think are either predictive or instructive. If you were talking to a hockey fan who you were trying to sell, that this is a tool that can be useful to you. What are some stats? What are some numbers that you have found that are either most instructive or most predictive or ones that you think are an easy kind of gateway to someone who's looking to make this more a part of how they digest hockey. So I like using expected goals because, you know, a lot, a lot of hockey is based on Corsi, which is shot attempts. And it's tough because there's names that don't exactly tell you what it, you know, what it is. If you hear Corsi, you're not going to know it's shot attempts. And there's so much based on that, but the argument can be that not all shots are equal. And that argument's true. If you're kept to the perimeter, but you have 50 shot attempts, that's great and wonderful. But did you get to the middle of the ice? So expected goals help us bridge that gap. The problem is with public data in the NHL is we don't have things for pre-shot movement. We can try to figure out a proxy for if it was a rush or an odd man rush situation or anything like that. But we're missing a lot of data because the NHL is very behind the times with that. So expected goals helps uh, quantify the value of a shot based on the angle, the location, the shot type, the situation, and with more uh, private companies working in there, integrating passing data into it. So a company like SportLogic, who I happen to work with, they put um, the passing stats in it. So you can actually see, you know, how much it does or doesn't influence it. And that might be a lateral pass that comes before a shot's taken. That's going to challenge a goaltender. It just made the shot more dangerous. So that's Mm -hmm. one stat. And the other one I would say is game score, which is nice because it's a blend of analytical and traditional stats. It gives Mm -hmm. you numbers like, you know, goals, uh, assists, block shots, shot attempts, and, you know, penalty differential, but also integrate things like what they were on the ice for. So how many shots or quality chances the team created or allowed while a player was on the ice. And it comes out to a single value that's super helpful and you can take it from there and build. Now you say the value ends up being super helpful, helpful. And Mike, you alluded to this before, but as a tool, uh, to better understand hockey in, in the game that you're watching, is it more of a weapon or a shield? <laughs> if that makes more sense, like like <laughs> for for me in a football sense, I I look at third downs against specific opponents uh, on the road and things like that, and it helps me to be predictive about the outcome of the game, like and 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 setting the over and under and things of that nature. Uh, what are the analytics that you're diving deep into, helping you predict about the game? 
So some expected goal models have proven to be predictive and, you know, some were finding that they were better than shot attempts. The problem was in the public sphere, a lot of the people who created those models then got hired by teams. So we no longer had their data mm-hmm. to work with. Um, and game score, uh, Dom Lutrician at The Athletic has turned that into game score value added. So it's a three-year a three year stat that weighs for recency and adjusts for age, but it, it builds off game score to help project what a player's value will be. And then from there, he has things like market value. So it tells you what a player's worth on the open market, not necessarily what they'll make. So with every single one of these stats, it can be a tool, it can be helpful, but you have to know how to use it and you have to know how to build context around it. Like there might be a lot of controversy around a player, say that gets third line minutes and is scoring at a high rate. And you might be thinking that that's encouraging in the sample of time that they've had, but maybe they should move up in the lineup. You have to build the context around it too. Was it even strength scoring? Was it propped up by their teammates and things like that to help build the situation and understand, do they belong higher in the lineup? Are they best where they are? Or, you know, is there anything else that's noise around it? So it's all about using everything in tandem. That's the biggest thing. So many people look at one number to try to build a narrative or go into something knowing what they want the numbers to say, which never works out. You have to go in open-minded and try to see everything and figure it out from there. So those are always, I think, good tenets when thinking about when people hear a model that's giving them some sort of predictive outcome. It's usually making use of a lot of these things. And while I am nowhere near as smart as you and not someone who has actually worked in these things. The one thing I do know about every model is every model is wrong. There are things that every model is going to miss. And, And so with that in mind, we just finished up with the first round on Sunday night. It was super exciting. We talked about relative to its NBA counterpart, the NHL gave us what we were looking for out of a lot of the game seven action that we got over the weekend. So before we get into the game, the second round games and the second round uh, ice time that's coming up tonight, was there anything that whether it was from what you thought from the model, from what you just thought and watching that really stuck out and surprised you from the first round of the NHL postseason? So two teams that were heavy favorites were the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames. And they were two teams that were pushed to the brink with seven games because they were playing, they were playing underdogs for the Calgary Flames. It was the Dallas stars. And that one had some like upset potential because the flames are so well built in every which way that sometimes it feels like that can just go wrong. And the Oilers, what can go wrong does go wrong because they address everything except for the actual issues they have, which is goaltending. So, you know, this is a very flawed team with two of the best players in the world. And we saw them play a a very disruptive LA Kings team that pushed them to seven. When it got to seven, it was very clear the Oilers were the better team. And there was, you know, no questions about that. But there was a little upset potential for two teams that went against the model that uh, I mentioned before with Dom Lushishan. That was the Toronto Maple Leafs losing and the Minnesota Wild losing. (sighs) The wild were the favorites, but the problem is, like we said before, with public data is it doesn't account for pre-shot movement. So the blues looked a lot worse because they passing is such a strength of their game that, you know, it makes their shots more dangerous. And when we don't have the data with the passing, it does set them back in the public sphere a bit, but they also have a very broken blue line and they dealt with injuries every single game. And somehow they made it through. They were the better team though. The Toronto Maple Leafs are cursed. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what model you have. Uh, They should have closed that out in six. And when they didn't, you kind of knew it wasn't happening for them. And they faced off against Andre Vasilevsky, who is a back-to-back champion and has been outstanding the last two years. They were lucky they didn't get him at his best throughout the series. And game seven, he came to play and they couldn't answer it, even though they were the better team. Mm. One of my best friends is a, is a Leafs fan. Should they have given up already? Like I was going to ask if they (laughs) should give up now, but it feels like they should have abandoned hope a long time ago. 
yeah, you can't you can't have hope if you're a Leafs fan. It's the hope that kills you. And the passion this year didn't it didn't work for anybody. But like with the Leafs too, this was the best Leafs team they put together. They addressed the team really well at the deadline, and everybody's going to look at them and go, "Well, they got it wrong because their their general manager looks at data and works in data, and he's not a hockey man." So they have that working against them, and their core players are very expensive. But that's the way you want your team structured. You want your best players to be the ones that are the highest paid, and you figure out a way to work around them. So if they blow up that core and do something really outrageous, they should give up hope because then it's just going to start the cycle all over again. Oh. If they run it back, then there's a chance of them actually building on it but you can look at the Tampa Bay Lightning uh three years back they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets after they hands down won the regular season and they got their ass kicked in round one by a team that nobody saw it coming they had to learn what it took to to win at this point of the year and as much as we look at data we do have to consider that kind of stuff it, it does matter you have to have the mental strength to do it you have to know what it takes to win the Lightning didn't they learned it and now look at them. So the Maple Leafs haven't gotten over that hurdle yet, and hopefully they do soon or everyone's doomed in Toronto. Speaking of moron here, let's get to more of what we saw in the first round. And one of the teams that you cover closely is the New York Rangers. And I heard you guys on the podcast saying they had been the worst team in that series for the majority of the time versus the Penguins. And yet after that overtime win, they are the ones left standing here. So how did they pull this off? their goaltender was who they needed him to be in game seven. Like mm. the regular season, Igor Shesterkin was the best goalie in the league and not by a little, um, his goal saved above expected. So based on the quality shots, it's how he responded to his workload was double the next goalie, you know, by mm. private models. He was that good. And this is a team that for the last decade has relied on elite goaltending to mask any defensive issues they've had or offensive issues. This team had a lot of offensive issues. They have the skill up and down their lineup. Well, no, I'm sorry. They have the skill in their top nine to, to be a good offensive team. And they really haven't figured it out. They, you know, allow more chances and they create a lot of the times. And that five on five offense has bit them throughout the season. But when you have incredible goaltending, it can mask all your issues. And they have a very good power play, one of the best in the league. So, you know, those two things were threats for them. In game one, they had, you know, outrageously good goaltending from Chester again. Same for game two but they weren't the better team. And in games three or four, when Chesterkin wasn't at his best, the team lost and they lost pretty miserably. You know, uh, we, I think forget sometimes how good Sidney Crosby is. And he mm. is absolutely elite still that top line with Brian Rust and Jake Gensel. They were threat every single time they were on the ice and the Rangers top line was getting absolutely worked against them. As much as they said, they didn't play the matchup game. They did. And it burned them. So couple injuries made things a little bit harder for them. But when it came down to game seven, they were the worst team the entire game. But the Rangers have elite talent, and the benefit of having elite talent is they can have a crappy game, and then they can turn a game on its head in seconds. And that's what Artemi Panarin did in overtime. But before that, it was players like Mika Zibanejad stepping up and giving Shesterkin the support that he had given them all series. Now, Igor obviously was the best goaltender in hockey all year long. Obviously, he talked about his struggles in round one. Can he get hot enough for them to ride past the Hurricanes and all the way into the cup final? Yeah. A goalie can steal you a series without question. I think they just need to make sure they can actually score a goal or two. Like he can keep the game that if you win a game, one, nothing two one, he's absolutely the goal you want in your net, but the hurricanes are stacked up front. They have an elite penalty kill. It's one of the most aggressive and it can challenge you offensively while, while you're on the advantage, they have an incredible blue line too. They're really aggressive with their sticks and they have good goaltending, even though their starters out, they've had to roll with their second and third goaltending again. And it hasn't been an issue for them really. So can he steal the series? Yes, but he's going to need a little bit from his team. They have to be better than they were against Pittsburgh because if you look at 
their numbers below the surface. Not one player broke even in shots or quality chances at five on five. So that's pretty terrible. You mentioned us kind of forgetting how good Crosby is at times. We know that part of the subtext of this series was that looming specter of what this might mean for Pittsburgh in the offseason, a franchise that has been used to Crosby, Chris Letang, Evgeny Malkin as that core for a long time. You can even throw Rust in there as well as an uncertain name heading into this offseason. Is it safe to say we've seen the last of that core in Pittsburgh? The way the reports were coming out today, it sounds like it. Like it sounds like uh, Malkin and Latang were kind of lowballed on their offers. I think that there's a way for them to figure it out and put that core together for another run or two. But like it will take a lot of cap space. But that's something that they have. They have so many other expiring contracts that they could build around that core. But it's just a matter of like figuring out the right numbers. The Penguins have had this like ability over the years to throw literal no one's next to next to Sidney Crosby and turning them into superstars. And I don't mean that with Jake Gensel, like he is actually a very great player in his own right, but there's been so many other players, you know, over the years, like Evan Rodriguez, our, um, gosh, like Chris Letang, uh, I'm sorry, Chris Kunitz was a player that nobody had a lot of confidence in, and he was able to thrive alongside Crosby. Like that's what you get when you get one of the best in the world. So if they can figure it out, that works for them. But I mean, the one struggle is if they go with long-term contracts, they might screw themselves down the line because as good as elite talent is like at their worst, they'll probably be closer to like average, but you don't want to have too much invested in a salad crap world. But, um, you know, if the penguins are going to do anything, ideally they have that core together, but it's super interesting to see like Pittsburgh, Washington, LA, Chicago, Boston. These are the teams that have really headlined everything before the lightning took over as the top team in the league for a very long time and none of them are here. So it does make it a little more interesting if it's someone new that can really shake things up. Speaking about the the rematch in Florida, who do you like and why? Is it the two-time cup champions or is it the president, was it the president's trophy winners in, in the uh, Panthers? What numbers suggest who you like in that series? I like the Panthers. I think they legitimately are one of the best teams in the league but they are a team that needs to know how to get past that hurdle. The hurdle for them was getting past round one. They did that, but I think they have to get past the lightning if they want to do anything. So it does work out for them that they get them in the second round. The Panthers are one of the best teams from behind. You know, it doesn't matter if they trail in the game. It could be six, one, they were able to come back from games. They have an elite rush based offense. Their top nine is absolutely stacked. They have, I think five players that can play center in their top line. So it gives them all these options for mixing and matching. The problem is they kind of like live by the blade, die by the blade that rush-based offense and the chaotic style that they play is so exciting to watch, but it can burn them on the other side, especially when their goaltender isn't up to par. They have Sergei Bobrovsky, who has not thrived in the playoffs before, and he's been fine this year, but when it's a $10 million goal, you want him to steal a series or two. I'm sorry, steal a game or two. So I think they have what it takes to beat the Lightning, who I would imagine are somewhat gassed after going on two long runs and now are going to be without Braden Point, who's one of their best players. But it is going to come down to whether the light, uh, the Panthers can play that high-octane offensive style and get it past Vasilevsky. Because if you can't keep games close, I think the Lightning might be in trouble. But then again, they won their first cup with that Steven Stamkos. So it, it's, it's really a tough one. I think this is going to go long six or seven. But I feel like the Panthers have to win it in six if they want a chance. But that's just like yeah. no stats there. That's just my vibe. Strictly, strictly vibes on this one. Yeah. Sometimes we're we're allowed to go down that route. <laughs> Have you felt pressured to talk about more Panthers content, knowing that Mike Ryan and the Levitard crew are just looming over this constantly, breathing heavily, looking at the Panthers? 
No, I like the Panthers. I think that they're fun. <laughs> I like their core. You know, I don't love everything that management has done since. I like the core that was put in place. And I like that they had data-driven minds in their front office to find players like Carter Verhage, who the Lightning couldn't afford because they didn't want to give him a qualifying offer. It was Jonathan March, so who came to Florida and became, you know, a hidden gem and broke out. And then management let him go to Vegas for nothing. But then they did it again with Carter Verhage, who's one of the best players in transition this season. So I like players like that and Barkoff and Ekblad. I want to see do well. And I'm a fan of Mackenzie Weger, even though he has kind of fallen apart a little bit in the playoffs here. I don't like the moves of Ben Chirot, though, for the, you know, at the deadline. They got slower and, you know, to and heavier, which is great for the playoffs. And I understand that's like the idea of heavy hockey in the postseason, but they've thrived all, thrived all season with their speed game. And that's what they didn't have in round one. And that's why they were almost a goal away from being, uh, being on the brink of elimination. Got Brandon. See, we found our niche here. Heavy hockey is what's the, what's going to be the mainstay of this podcast here, just based on body type for us. So <laughs> we may have, we may have found exactly what we were looking for uh, in that one. Uh, the other one we've got coming up tonight, uh, Shana, the Blues in Colorado. What do we have going on here? Are people done downing St. Louis, or does Colorado have a chance to make this kind of go the way it did last year in the first round for them in the series? Colorado stacked. Colorado is absolutely positively stacked um, in the regular season. If you look at some of their numbers, maybe, you know, you could see that they were outright the favorite then, but they were missing key players for stretches. Nathan McKinnon missed time this season. Gabriel Landeskog missed the second half of the year. And then at the deadline, they brought in a player like Arturi Lekkanen, who's a great middle six disruptor. He's not known for his offense, but he can bring it if he's around skilled players. You have players like uh, Val Nachushkin, that is, he is another player. He's a total disruptor. He's always been good defensively, always good below the surface, but couldn't finish. And now this year you see he has that scoring talent. So they have it, you know, that forward group is as deep as you could get besides Florida. Those are the two to really watch for their forward group. But what uh, Colorado has is one of the best defenses he, you know, as well. They have Kale McCarr, who we already knew was the best two-way defenseman in the league without question. And it's like a new look defense. It's, you can't, you know, you're not going to be facing shots against if you have the puck all the time. And Kale McCarr has the puck all the time. And alongside him, he has a number one defenseman in, in Devin Taves. And then you have Darcy Kemper back in net, who has been playing stellar hockey all season. So that is the team to beat. But like, it's that same hump. Can they get over it? Can they get past that hurdle? Last year in round two, they ran into Vegas who adjusted their game and figured how to stop them in the neutral zone so they couldn't get in and beat them in the corners, and they didn't adjust well enough. This year, it seems like they learned that in the regular season. They were testing different line combinations at points, too, to make sure that they had all these options in case someone could stop them in the playoffs or if someone got hurt. So for every reason, they are the favorite, not just to win the series, but in every single series. The Blues have a really, really, really good top nine forward group like that is nine 20 goal scores that's nothing to shrug at mm -hmm. and minnesota did a good job of limiting their passing that's such like a hallmark of their game ideally they can bring that back this series but their defense they're already down two defenders to injury who are questionable to start the series if you look at their defense even if it's healthy it's really not that good it's one of the weaker of all the teams in the playoffs and in goal they have two options although it's going to be interesting in round one they knew when to swap goalies Will they at the right time? Because the goalie they're rolling with right now is the weaker goalie. He performed better in the playoffs so far, and he did take them to the cup. But he also has had poor postseason since. So it's like, it's really a tough call for that one too, especially if they leave their other goalie on the bench too long and if he gets, you know, rusty. So Colorado should be the favorite. They should come out of this series. But the Blues are a team that gives, you know, it gives most models questions. And, you know, they, they, they want their respect. They're playing a different style 
from everybody else. They have that passing, they have that finishing ability. So is it the best forward depth that's going to win, or is it going to be the team that actually is stacked up and down the lineup? Speaking of stacked, let's talk about the battle for Alberta because we have this for the first time since 1991. And I feel like for most people, even if you're a casual uh, hockey fan, Connor McDavid's a name you've known for a while, but you talk about a team with a defined postseason hump they've got to get over. That's Edmonton right now. So based on what we've seen so far from McDavid this postseason and the opportunity they've got now, is this a real chance to kind of add some postseason lore to a guy who already, I mean, is just a mutant talent in the numbers and the performance we've seen so far? Maybe. It's tough. I don't I don't know. I, I have my doubts about this team. Like this is a team that all season has had terrible goaltending. They went into this into the season with Miko Koskin and Mike Smith as their goaltenders for the second straight year. And everybody knew that was the wrong decision, except for Oilers management for some odd reason. <laughs> so they fired their coach who actually has helped out. You know, he made adjustments in all three zones and that's what they needed. But the goaltending. I like, I know Mike Smith was good in the first round, but he's a puck handler. That is everybody's going to see him. And it's really exciting to see a goalie get out of the crease, make passes and try to score goals by clearing it down the ice. Everybody loves to see that. But if anybody doesn't know when not to do it, it's Mike Smith. And sometimes I think when he's on a high and playing really well, he makes more mistakes because I don't know if it's just confidence or something, but he, he has a tendency to burn, you know, burn his team because he'll give the puck away and he can't get back in time. So do I want to see that happen a bunch of times in the series? Absolutely. It makes for chaotic hockey. I want this to be, I don't, (laughs) I love defense. I love structure. I want this to be seven, five scores every single night. And I want to see chaos like that happen, but yeah, McDavid's chances. The problem is like, the second best te- uh, player on that team is Leandre Seidel. And he got hurt last round. I think it was reported today that it was a high ankle sprain. And you could see the last game and a half that he wasn't skating very well. He wasn't moving very well. But like even him at 50%, he's a better offensive generator than most players in the league. So they have that going for them. But if they're going to move forward, it's Connor McDavid dragging this team past Calgary, unless Calgary just disappoints. Like, this was a team that I thought in round one should have and could have been better. Yes, they faced an incredible goalie in Jake Ottinger, mm. but they should have been better. Their top line is elite. It's one of the best in the league with Johnny Gaudreau. So you have two of the best players at creating offense off the rush in Gaudreau and McDavid, which makes for a fun matchup. And their middle six doesn't generate enough offense and they have a better blue line. So Calgary has a lot of advantages and they have the better goaltender but they just didn't play up to the level they should have. I'm hoping that this series, we see the flames that we expected to see because it's going to be better quality hockey if we do. And the same goes for the Oilers, but there are players like Duncan Keith, who I would not trust. And you've seen that burn them. Um, The game that uh, Calgary, I'm sorry, Edmonton battled back in the third period. So exciting forced overtime. And you see Duncan Keith make a huge mistake in overtime and things like that, because they trusted a player who had a winning pedigree over actual skill at this phase in his career. You just made us and our listeners so much smarter about the entire NHL playoff picture. My one final question, with all those things considered, data, gut feelings, all the things considered, all mixed into a pot, who meets in the Stanley Cup final? Good question. It's Colorado for me. This is a team they are built to win and I think we're all going to be disappointed if they can't put it together this year and they're the best team in the West, I think by a mile. Um, and in the East, it's really tough. I think Carolina is going to come out of that series, but I'm not confident Mm. in it enough. And I want to say Florida, but I have questions about their defense. So in my bracket, originally, I think I went with Florida and Colorado and I'm going to stick with that, but I have Colorado winning it all. 
Nice. All right, there we go. Avalanche winning it all, according to Shana Goldman. Shana, you have made us, like Brandon said, so much smarter. And I genuinely mean this. If you guys haven't listened to it, Too Many Men is the podcast. Please check it out. Newest part of the Levitard and Friends Network. It, listening to it genuinely, I said this about Tim Kirkchin covering baseball at ESPN, and I think it's true for you guys, makes me want to spend more time around hockey. You guys make it fun. You guys make it something that I feel like I want to be a part of. So awesome podcast. Make sure you check it out. And Shayna, we'll definitely have to talk to you again as this postseason run goes along. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for saying that. Definitely, you know, get into hockey and then come hang out with us on the podcast sometime. There we go. Done and done. Little home and home. Nothing wrong with that. Thanks, Shana. Oh, yeah. All right. Big thanks to Shana again for making our brains work a little bit better and all this. Woo. I know I know we are a couple of big guys and we seem like a couple of oafs, but I really do believe in the finer tools that analytics can offer us. And I was very excited to hear how they applied to hockey. So that was a ton of fun. And I, it just makes me want to get a book, Hockey for Dummies. Like there's what you see and then there's what you should see. You feel me? Like you ever get a you get a stat sheet from football and like you ever like get lost in it and like you're just telling your own stuff, your own numbers and stuff like that, your own narratives and coming to your own conclusions and you're like, this would probably be so confusing for someone who has no idea what a, what a even th- what a third down even is. Well, I think all of it and I think a lot of expertise is just knowing where to put your eyes. And I mm. think that's a big part of what that conversation was about. Where do we need to put our eyes? Where do we need to look in order to know what is coming? I will never forget how humbled I felt when I was the guest referee. ESPN used to do this thing where they'd take analysts and have them guest officiate a spring football game. And you'd go through the process. Steve Shaw, who's the VP of officials, who used to be the head of the SEC officials, might still be, but was the rules guy that ESPN used. You would go through these meetings, you would learn what they do, and then you would go and officiate. So I was a part of the officiating crew for the South Carolina spring game in like 2017 and I'll never and it was super unnerving because like being on a football field or like any other sport most of sports is about knowing where your help is and knowing where you are supposed to help and I was learning a whole new process of where to put my eyes and where I was supposed to give and receive help and it's really unnerving when things start happening fast and all of a sudden you've got bodies hurtling towards you and you're trying to process something that you have not yet learned to that level so most of expertise is just about where to put your eyes that's it's about as simple I as that. I can explain it. I love that. And also, before we move on, I want to say you made an, a fantastic riff. Not only in the sense of, like, I'm sure you made right calls or whatever, but in the sense that, like, Justin Garbini looks great as Little Sweet. Like, you looked great as a referee. Thank you. I like to think that I wore the stripes pretty well. I was in decent shape at that point. It was in the spring. I had some you mm. know, goals for a summer body. All of which came to fruition. Uh, Brandon, speaking of someone that looks good in the colors that they're wearing, though, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't give a little one-time love here. Uh, We always love money going out, life-changing sums of money to young people. Jair Alexander, one time for that young man, getting himself dumb paid by the Green Bay Packers. $84 million extension with an NFL defensive back record, $30 million guaranteed. Uh, mm, mm, he mm, also, mm. I believe, has now the highest average annual value for a contract for a defensive back. All for a guy that, you know, I think played only four games last year due to injury, but is a game changer when he's on the field. He's part of a defense that they have put a ton of resources into opposite Aaron Rodgers. And you just love to see this was a great player 
who, when he is healthy, is a legitimate difference maker and deserve to get this. It helps free up some cap space for the Green Bay Packers, which they desperately need because they still have moves that need to be made. There weren't as many offensive weapons drafted as Aaron Rodgers would probably like, so they can go fishing in that marketplace. And in the meantime, a young person has even more money to go ahead and change their lives and the lives of everyone around them, which is dope. Amazing, great, dope. I know this podcast seems like it always gets drawn back to Louisville, Kentucky because I'm here, but let's not forget where he played at college. Uh, Another one of those first-round draft picks that I imagine Aaron Rodgers was pissed off about, but in all actuality, more of those draft picks turn out giving Aaron the ball back. He sees the value in them. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that... It's turned out great for everyone. They got more cap room to to get an offensive weapon eventually. And Jair Alexander gets gets paid for, to do what he does instinctually. And, it, and it's great to see. Yeah, I mean, and listen, you saw that defensive backfield, Razul Douglas, who came over at the trade deadline last year oh, man. and was insane for them turning Earned the ball over. You mentioned one of the picks that felt like a declaration of war at the altar of Aaron Rodgers and Eric Stokes out of Georgia, who they took last year in the first round. So they've been trying to build that up. That defense got better production out of Rashawn Gary. They drafted Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker in the first round of the draft this year. So that's a group that should start and continue to pick up based on what they've put into that, and then they continue to bank on the other side and say, hey, our play calling plus Aaron Rodgers will equal some people being elevated along with a healthy David Bakhtiari. So, plus Green Bay's one of like four teams in the NFC that's actually good enough to win it all, so it's not like there's an, a ton of competition the way they've got in the AFC, so makes the margin for error a little bit wider, especially in the early going. Oh, absolutely. And I also want to revisit this at some point in time in the podcast, really do a deep dive, maybe go live on Instagram and talk about it. But Green Bay Packers might be all handsome team. Ooh. Oh, see. Led, 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 led by Matt LaFleur. Yep. Led by Matt LaFleur. But there's a I don't I don't see a lot of I don't see a lot of ducks on that squad. The biggest question is going to be what does Aaron Rodgers do with his hair in the 2022 season? That was a big time source of controversy in the handsome department. So we'll wait on that one because man, if you want a pod that's going to go ahead and rank handsomeness, you have come to the right place. We will continue to give you that good work. But Brandon, it's time we finish this thing up. Let's get to this, that, and the third. Yes. I wanted to start with this, Brandon, uh, before we get to an NFL player that chose complete and utter violence in a way that terrifies me. I uh, joined two of my fr- uh, friends from ESPN, former colleagues of mine over at the uh, ACC Network, Kelly Gramlich and Eric McLean. They got a great podcast uh, that you guys can check out and a YouTube channel for Gramlich and McLean that now operates. I was a guest on there the other day, and they told me about a conversation that they had with Dabo Swinney where they talked about a time that each of them remembered. Kelly and Eric were both college athletes a time that they remembered being late for something that you were supposed to be at as a player. And while I didn't have a story that came to mind for that, because they mentioned even Dabo had one of those stories from his time at Alabama, I did say that I, like most athletes, have the dream where you show up to a field. In my case, the most recent version of this dream, I showed up to Notre Dame's newly renovated football facility. I was late for the position meeting with my old offensive line coach, Harry Heastan, who is back at Notre Dame, who is one of the men I revere like a father figure in my life, is the best football coach that I've ever had. And I was 
anxiety written knowing I was disappointing him by being late to this meeting and then showing up to practice weighing what I weigh now and looking what I do now and looking around at all the other giants wondering how I'm going to crack the lineup so I feel like every athlete has that version or multiple versions of the dream where you show up to work without the things that you need do you have that dream still Brandon (sighs) you say dream I call it a nightmare that I've I've I say that I've I've healed from my football scars because that dream has had months in between instead of having it once every month. Now it's like now it's like once or twice a year, but it used to be like at least once a quarter where I would wake up, like you said, in the body that I have that I went to sleep in, which is not one that was ready for football practice, thrusted into being woken up late, having to get dressed and ready. And getting my football pads on and going to practice and looking and, and and just feeling out of place, that same feeling of like I, I can't even begin to like I can't do warm-ups. I'm not I'm not limber enough to go through the through warm-up exercises. Get me out of here. Very, very scary. And then obviously the reoccurring one that you're actually just late for practice at camp. Yep. Which is a very I got my stomach hurt as soon as you brought this this prompt up, yeah. and I, it hasn't shaken me yet. I'm I'm physically sick at the thought of being late for practice, late for a meeting, or having to go to practice at all. Yeah, it's all like nightmarish at this point. And again, I wake up and for a split second when you wake up, you're still kind of in that zone where you're basking in the afterglow of the dream and feeling like you got to get up and do something. And I feel so freaking dumb every time this happens. So that dream is hellish. If you have that dream, let us know because I'm sure I heard from people that were teachers that have that dream. I feel like all of us have some version, but I feel like the former athlete paranoia about being on time is a unique draw to all this. But Brandon, speaking of things that make me uncomfortable, let's get to that because we are going to take a look at how to and how not to be a spouse on the internet, specifically Mm. an NFL spouse. In the good corner, we have what went on with Rashawn Slater and his wife. um, I want to get this name right here, so let me pull up the tweet. (laughs) Sorry, I was about to say, I believe her name is Bora Bora. (laughs) <laughs> I can confirm one thing. Her name is not Bora Bora. It is uh, Stas- Stasny Slater or Stasny, Sl- Stasny Slater. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But either way, this all started with a tweet from Daniel Popper, who's a senior writer at The Athletic covering the Chargers. And he said Rashawn Slater was on his honeymoon in Bora Bora when the Chargers traded for defensive end Khalil Mack. Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach, texted him and said, get your mind right. Slater joked that he put down his drink when he got the text and thought, I better start doing some pass sets on the beach. Well, rest assured, we now have tape. The eye in the sky don't lie. And his wife, Mm. Stastny, was videotaping as Rashawn Slater, the former first-round pick out of Northwestern, was hitting a pretty solid pass set right in the water on some very beautiful sand in some clear blue water. And I got to say, Brandon, he's always been a technician, but seeing that kind of change of direction in about half a foot of standing water is really impressive. The Chargers should continue to feel great about this pick. Oh, absolutely. And also, it's just a... It's just a testament that you can get work in anywhere. Yes. If you're really about this football life, if you're really about your athleticisms, your athleticisms, you can get work in anywhere, especially on the beach. 
Yeah, oh, listen, it's a great way to always get working. It ups, you know, a little bit of the challenge, ankle flexibility, all that good shit. But uh, that's also just kind spousal assisting right there. She Absolutely. gave video proof that her husband was putting in work while they were on their honeymoon, and that's something that everyone can surely appreciate. Now, in the other corner, the what-not-to-do corner, we have the very online Marlon Humphrey, defensive back for the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Brandon... Too online. Mar- you know what? He is a very funny follow online. He gets under people's skins. He has some really shitty takes about mac and cheese, if I remember right from the past. But he really tried to get fired on his day off, not from the Baltimore Ravens, but fired from his relationship because he tweeted last night, how do you politely tell your girlfriend that she's gaining some weight? Buddy? Lord Jesus. Uh, You you don't. don't. (laughs) That's the only answer. You You definitely don't tweet about it. I mean... I, but here's the thing. You said you said he's being a bad spouse. I trust that he is not in a relationship and he is doing the the God's work that all single men who are not in relationships should do and, and put out these erroneous put out these Oh, you're these, you're these saying you're saying he's ask. asking a question on behalf of like he's doing the my friend wants to know type thing where he's taking the bullets for this by asking a question that one of his boys is trying to run by him? I think dude knows content. And I think he's like, and he has the freedom and leeway to be like, I can say whatever I want. Because he's already claimed that he wants to get into the media business once he's done with uh, playing football. So I think he's testing the waters. And I think this is a pretty good, it's a pretty good heat check. I mean, the mentions are popping. And I think... The perfect question to ask is one that the clear answer to it is no, like don't, right? Because there's all kinds of creative suggestions that come or off from it. And in my God honest opinion, as someone who has uh, been with my my wife and girlfriend for a very, very long time, and uh, <laughs> I'm so worried about what Brandon just. You love, you love your finish, wife. Finish, She's finish, amazing. And I just want you finish. to think long and hard about whatever the hell you're about to say right here because well, I'm very scared for you. I know. And I thought about this before we even started because I was like, there's no way Mike lets me get in trouble because I was thinking like, what do I say? Here's my thing. As as I, as I someone who's who's been with someone for a very long time, like I said, and has seen my wife give birth like carry a child twice and push out and all the way. Honestly, women's bodies aren't to be questioned or, or, or be inquisitive about, or even suggestive about it. You just sit back and marvel at it. Like you do a sunrise or, or a beautiful storm or like being at the beach. It's just like a beautiful piece of nature that as it grows, expands, tightens, like all the different things. It's just all to be marveled and and, and noted and notationed. Never, ne- you don't put your hands in the nature and try to mess with stuff. Unless you're in Atlanta and making uh, man-made lakes all around the, the state, just the state, the city, just sit back, enjoy what God has given all of us. And that includes a, a, a beautiful, a beautiful woman. And you don't say shit 
when they gain weight. You enjoy, you take them to Lane Bryant, you you uh, you do all the things you can do to support, you get them the milk that they need, whatever it is that's going to help the situation, you just go all the way into it, right? And, I, and I'm not, and this is what I'm saying Brent, instead of Brent, the thing that I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, Brandon, and let me I'm, tell you. I'm laying out. You've done, I'm laying you've, out. You've done a great job here, and I was going to cut you off before you sputtered into making a point, because I could see you, you had two hands on the wheel through all that, Brandon, and you did a phenomenal job. <laughs> I have no notes on what you said. You are right. Like... Women are a beautiful thing to behold. They are immaculate in all those ways that you described. I'm not going to go any further because I thought you stated yourself well, but you were driving with two hands on the wheel, and all of a sudden I felt you start to kind of wobble a little bit, and you started to veer off the road, and so we're Mm going to get you away from that and just say, Marlon Humphrey, like we talked about with Pat Bev, we are all about the content business, but at some point we also got to know where the line is, and this ain't the place you want to be when Jesus comes back home. Online asking what to do when your girlfriend gains weight. That's all. How to politely tell yeah. them that they've gained. Oh, yeah. Just now, Brandon. Let's get to the third and get away mm, from that before mm, anyone mm. says anything dumb or stupid. Speaking and of instead, booty. talk about that booty <laughs> because we saw. I think one of the greater gifts to the college football name sphere that we've had in quite some time. I have an entire group chat with Anish Shroff, play-by-play announcer for ESPN and the Carolina Panthers, and Roddy Jones, ACC Network analyst, former Georgia Tech running back. An entire conversation, an entire group chat dedicated to the college football all-name teams and college lacrosse. It is incredibly giving space. We have found the new all-time quarterback for the college football all-name team until he decides to graduate and go on to professional football or working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, however it goes for him. Courtesy of PFF College and courtesy of this player's own Twitter account. Junior college transfer quarterback General Booty has announced that he is committing to Oklahoma via at General Booty 10 on Twitter. Mm, 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 mm. Brandon, there are so many things to be excited about this. One, I need to see the entirety of the birth certificate because this is one instance where I'm both stunned that his last name is, in fact, Booty. Is his first name actually General? Is this some sort of nickname? Like, we've seen nicknames proliferate college football. Um, Even the team websites now will put Kool-Aid McKinstry, who's a defensive back at Alabama, I believe. His nickname is Kool-Aid. They put it up on the website because they're doing that for players now. Because players have the power and they get all that stuff. Yeah, Sauce, another great example. So, I have a lot of questions that I need to know about General Booty, but... I don't really need pressing answers because I do just kind of want to live and believe that someone looked at their beautiful baby boy and said, this child is going to grow up and be a dominant signal caller at the University of Oklahoma, and he is going to be general booty while he does it. Yes, I mean, I do. I applaud all the parents that are uh, have that type of humor, uh, have that type of uh, laissez-faire attitude to give their child a name that is really a screen name on AOL from back in the day. Uh, but I, I appreciate it and I love it because General Booty is a fantastic name. And I always try to play with my... my. So I have a, a four-month-old. Uh, he's four-month-old today. Shouts out to baby Mac. Uh, I wanted to name him Mac Man. Like his middle name, M-A-N-N. First name, Mac, M-A-C-K. Middle name, M-A-N-N. And his last name would be Newman. Mac Man Newman. So, and Michelle just didn't like it. And I was like, okay, whatever. But like, I am a huge fan. 
make a statement with that name. Make a statement with that baby. It is a lot of pressure though that way, right? Like, yeah, yeah, but, but, like General Booty didn't take the the traditional route. He wasn't a five star recruit coming out like Archie Manning. Uh, is that that's the Archie Manning? That's the boy. That's Archie Manning, right? Arch, excuse me, excuse me, big Archie. Uh, Arch Manning. He he probably didn't have the grades. He went to JUCO. He fought his way to a a prominent premier institution where the quarterback's name rings bells for years and years after they've played there. And now Oklahoma, who has hosted the likes of uh, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts, now has a general booty at the helm running their offense. This is this is as, as beautiful as Draymond Green going to do an emergency podcast after getting ejected from a game. Like this is this is perfect. General booty. Well, it is and he better got a trunk and he better have a trunk. He better not skip squat day. He better not skip le- skip legs day. Cause you better have a booty. That is true. You can't be general booty without having an absolute wagon. And it brings up what many people have pointed out at Ra Huggins 3 on Twitter. Every single touchdown pass from this young man should result in the crowd immediately chanting the Bubba Sparks song, Miss New Booty. <gasps> this has the potential. Remember, and this isn't one of our first dynamic booties in the world of college football. No, no, no. See, before this, General Booty's mother is the sister of Joe Ferguson, longtime NFL quarterback for the Buffalo Bills and Detroit Lions, played about 20 years. His grandfather, Johnny Booty, was one of the highly recruited quarterbacks coming out of America years ago from Shreveport Woodlawn, which is the same school that Ferguson and Terry Bradshaw went to. And remember, we had John David Booty at USC in the early 2000s. So college football is littered with great booty. Oh my god. Yes. I mean that's honestly the recruit recruiting pitch as well. Like when you go, it's like, oh come 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 to our school. We got great booty. But I I I love the lineage of the booty. And I and I hope I hope I hope he does well. Uh and I hope he has I hope I hope we're I hope one day, you know, I'll go as far as say I hope one day, you know, me, you, Mike, little little less hair here, little little gray here, you know, I hope we're talking about the booty kids. I hope we're talking about the, the the spawn of the booty. Specific booty? No, spawn. Sp, sp, yeah. The, the spawn his, of... Oh, yeah, like... His the, son. Oh, specific booty. <laughs> you named the baby. I mean, it's the only... You the, named the baby. It's the only logical one. Specific. I mean, <laughs> and think about it. I was if thinking he, if, general... I- if he, I was thinking general as 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 a uh, as a military. Yeah, no, you got to explore all of the options here. By the wow. way, someone's trying to say this is John David Booty's nephew in the mention. I don't know if that's verified or not. I'm trying to think of other things in the game that an announcer on the call might be able to say. Right? Um, Terrible decision by Booty. No, that's not. That's not. That doesn't work. Um, Booty's got to get his head out of his ass. They don't say that. They probably wouldn't um, say that on the broadcast, but um, yeah. Hmm. I mean, someone said if he's the backup <laughs> and has to go in, you're going to have to tap General Booty. Tap General Booty. I like that. I like that. Uh, sometimes Booty Booty might need to get benched um, for for a freshman a freshman star who who uh, was a five star recruit. 
I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We just gotta keep our ears out. Keep our keep your mind open. Man, I really I it just you know what this honestly seems like it is tailor made for one person and one person only, and that's Joe Tessator. Joe Tessator to me Ooh. sounds the most like college football, and he is the perfect pairing with some of college football's best names. If you remember, Smoke Monday, defensive back for Auburn, had a pick six in a game Joe Tess was calling, and he celebrated that name like it was his birthday, Christmas, and the Fourth of July all rolled up into one. It was perfect. It was exactly what college football is supposed to be and so that I can pray to any god that will listen please let General Booty start a game for Oklahoma that Joe Tessitore is on the call for that's all I mm. want that's all I need that's all I crave because I know in the way that you and I failed here he will do justice oh yeah and he'll do it you guys you just gotta speak it into existence I don't know if anybody needs to hear this but you just gotta ask him you just gotta ask him and, and God will deliver he's just waiting to hear from you that's all it is. General Booty, the pr future proud owner of, I'd imagine, some of the most creative toilet paper-based NIL um, offers Ooh. in college football's young history in that area. So if you got any other ideas for great calls for General Booty, any potential NIL offers, you know where to leave them. In the reviews mm. on Apple Podcasts with a five-star rating to go along with it. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We thank everyone who has made it this far on the podcast. As always, go and click some of those buttons. Help us beat the algorithm. Download, subscribe, yes. unsubscribe, resubscribe. All the things that you've been listening to the guys at Pardon My Take and the Dan Levitard Show tell you to do for years <laughs> who have been podcasting for longer than us. We're just taking cues from them. We need all the help that we can get. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs>